Turn your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 31. 1 Samuel 31, as we continue our study through Samuel. 1 Samuel 31, we'll begin with verse 1. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Asheroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth Shan and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father, we're thankful that you have spoken to us. And we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would come and that you would speak to us now that you would open our eyes, that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up and be drawn to him. We ask that you would open our ears, that we would hear the voice of our good shepherd and open our hearts that we might offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely. We pray that you would move across this house and drive back the opposing power and speak through your servant. Help him to be well aware and keenly conscious of the fact that he's a dying man preaching to dying people. So speak to us in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. 
What do you do when you're defeated, demoralized, scared, scattered, and leaderless? Stuart Hamblin, one of the old singing cowboys from the 1920s and 30s, wrote and sang a wonderful old southern gospel hymn, Until Then. It became much beloved. Billy Graham left instructions that it be sung at his funeral. It has a line that says, the things of earth that cause the heart to tremble, remember there, that's in hell, will only bring a smile. The things that can be so overwhelming and devastating now will not seem so intimidating in the light of eternity. And even before eternity, we can look back on past events that seemed unbearable at the time. And they don't seem so big anymore. But the inverse of that is just as real. Things that now in retrospect seem manageable seemed awful at the time we were in them. In the passage before us, King Saul dies, and having the benefit of thousands of years of hindsight, we know, though it sounds odd to say it, that it was a good thing that King Saul died. But let's go back and put ourselves in the place of the Israelites. Their king has fallen. His sons have died with him. The army is defeated. Their people are running away and the Philistines are taking over their cities. They're fixing to fall, be taken over, lose their country and their heritage. Their whole world seemed to be falling apart. What do you do under those circumstances? What do you do when you're defeated, demoralized, scared, scattered, and leaderless? That's a question before the house this morning. Now, let's get to it. First, in this passage, when defeated, demoralized, scattered, scared, and leaderless, Remember that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Look at verse 1. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul and the archers found him and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul 
took his own sword and fell upon it. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. Now Saul, you see, badly wounded by the Philistines in the battle. So he tells his armor bearer, just finish me off now. Saul wants a mercy killing. Better for a quick death at the hands of his own people than whatever the Philistines might put him through before he dies. But his armor bearer cannot kill his king. So Saul fell on his own sword and took his life. And then the armor bearer did the same thing. Obviously that's where the expression of fall on your sword comes from. But Saul and his three sons died that day. But in that tragedy, the Lord kept his word. Years earlier when Saul disobeyed the instruction he received from the Lord to destroy Amalek. But Saul did not do the job. He spared the king and kept the best of the flocks and herds. The Lord rejected Saul and told him so through Samuel. And then when Saul tried to fake some contrition and placate the Lord, he was told in no uncertain terms that the kingdom of Israel would be torn away from him. And then later on, the night before these events in 1 Samuel 31, when Saul in his panic and desperation went to see the witch at Endor and had her conjure up dead Samuel from the grave, again the Lord delivered a message through his servant. 1 Samuel 28, 20, 19. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. You and your sons will die tomorrow. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Now, it's happened. God did exactly what he said he would do. We tend only to think about what you might call the positive promises of God. You know the ones like God will never leave you nor forsake you or God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus or I go to prepare a place for you. Those promises are wonderful and they're true. But they're not the only promises God has made. 
Also what we might call negative promises. Like if we deny him, he will also deny us. Or we spent some time on this one last week. Jesus promised in the world you will have trouble. Here's a promise. In the last days, evil men will get worse and worse. Or this promise. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Something that would be very helpful to us when things fall apart is to remember that the Lord has not only promised what we would consider to be good things, He's promised us what we would consider bad things as well. You remember what Job said to his wife when their world fell apart. Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? When we only think of the comfortable things God has promised, when things get uncomfortable, our faith tends to come unraveled. But when we take all his word and all his promises into account, we can see, and we can see clearly that even when the bottom falls out, God is still keeping his word. Though Israel appeared to be on the brink of total defeat and collapse, God was still faithful. He was doing exactly what he said. So remember that God keeps his word. Secondly, when defeated, demoralized, scared, scattered, and leaderless. Remember that God has a plan. Look at verse 2 again. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. It was a real tragedy in this is not so much that Saul dies, but that Jonathan dies. He was such a fine young man. He had all the integrity and honor and courage and leadership ability that his father lacked. Jonathan, as best we could tell, would have made a fine king. But here, Jonathan and his two brothers die with their father. Now we know that it was God's plan to take Saul out and make David king. He'd already sent Samuel down to anoint David years 
before. And that plan involved the death of Saul. And if we're honest, we probably don't have much of a problem with that. Saul had to die for David to become king. But the plan also involved the death of Jonathan. Most of us will say we believe God has a plan. But then we might want to argue with him about the details of it. On Sunday, May the 10th, 1863, General Thomas Jackson's chaplain, Reverend Lacey, informed General Robert E. Lee that the doctors had given up hope that Jackson would survive. Lee replied, surely General Jackson must recover. God will not take him from us now that we need him so much. You know what it meant. God couldn't be planning to do something that unbearable and devastating. Surely he could. Jackson died that afternoon. Two years later, in his second inaugural address, President Lincoln said, the Almighty has his own purposes. Great hymn writer, William Cooper wrote those famous words, God moves in a mysterious way. And he said, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Lord Jesus prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, Jesus prayed, if there's any other way, any other way but the cross, Father, please change the plan. But, he said, not my will, of course, that's Jesus' human will. His divine will is the same as the Father's will. Not my will, but thine be done. He was about to go through the worst thing anyone has ever faced. Not the physical suffering, though that was literally excruciating pain, but the spiritual torment he literally went through hell on the cross. It was horrible, but it was God's will. It was God's plan. And eternally, it was for a wonderful purpose. It's our salvation. The hell he endured was our hell. There was no other way to get us out of it. 
and back into fellowship with God. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I would not have taken Jonathan that day. Had him to die on the field of battle. I wouldn't have done it. But God didn't ask my advice. God's not desperate enough to need my advice. He knows what's best. So remember that God keeps his word. Remember God has a plan. And thirdly and finally, when you're defeated, demoralized, scared, scattered, and leaderless, do what you can. Do what you can. Look at verse 8. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and put, sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Asheroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Now we know this is all God's plan, but the Philistines thought they and their gods were in charge. They had a big head. Celebrate their victory. You see, they cut off Saul's head and hung his headless body on the wall at Bethshan, and they put his armor in the temple of their goddess Ashtaroth. A t- trophy. They're not only spiking the ball against Israel, but they are saying, in effect, our gods, text here calls them, properly calls them idols, our gods, Baal and Asheroth, beat Jehovah. Our gods beat your God. Now look at verse 11. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there, and they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. The men of this town, Jabesh Gilead, went, recovered the bodies of Saul and his sons, And that was risky business. They had to go at night. And even then they went at great personal risk. Now you could imagine being hung out on the wall and exposed to the elements of bodies were already rotting. The men of Jabesh Gilead intended to bring them home and give them proper burial under the tamarisk tree But for purposes of hygiene, 
They had to burn the rotting bodies and then carry the bones back to the sacred burial ground. Why did they risk it to get those dead bodies? Back in 1 Samuel 11, before Saul began to come unglued, we read that the Ammonites were about to attack that town, Jabesh Gideon. But the people of that town sent messengers to King Saul. It says the Spirit of God came on Saul and he mustered 330,000 men and attacked and totally defeated the Ammonites and saved Jabesh Gideon. Now, Saul has had a mighty downfall. But the people of Jabesh Gideon never forgot what he did for them so many years ago. So they did what they could. They couldn't save him. They couldn't bring him back to life. They could not turn back the hands of time. The only thing they could do for Saul was risk their lives to get his and his son's bodies out of the degradation and shame of hanging on the Philistine wall and honor their remains with a decent burial. It was all they could do, but they did what they could to honor their king however dishonorable he had become and in honoring their king they honored their God of course it reminds us of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who took Jesus' body off the cross and gave him a proper burial at the risk of arousing suspicions that they were believers. It was all they could do. But they did what they could. It reminds us of Mary at Bethany Mark 14, she anointed Jesus' feet with that outrageously expensive perfume. And you remember Judas and some of his disciples said, what a waste of expensive ointment. We could have sold it and given it to the poor. But you remember what Jesus said. She's done a beautiful thing. She hath done what she could. 
She knew he was going to die. And she did what she could to honor him. No matter how defeated and demoralizing your circumstances may be, there's always something you can do to honor the Lord. It may not seem much, but do what you can. If we could go back to the 1860s one more time today, let's go to Charleston. Late in the year 1865, a great preacher of Charleston, Dr. John Lafayette Girardot, returned to his beloved Zion Presbyterian Church on Glebe Street preached to a defeated and demoralized people in a largely destroyed city. Rightly or wrongly, they were suffering people. And I want to read you something he preached to his people then. It is our duty to sustain ourselves with a consideration that God does his will and the judge of all the earth will do right. And to him who thus in disappointment and suffering, baffled in his hope and tempted to skepticism, yet honors God by meek and uncomplaining submission do from a sinful, short-sighted creature to infinite wisdom and absolute sovereignty. It will in time be made conspicuously to appear as clearly as the flash of a sunbeam through the fissures of a dissolving cloud that benefits were withheld for the bestowal of greater, that temporary suffering is but the prelude to everlasting blessing. Short-lived disappointment to the dawn of unfading honor and that truth and right go down beneath a horizon of darkness and an ocean of storms only to reappear in the morning glory of an eternal triumph. Friends, the Lord brought King David to the throne on the other side of this terrible defeat. He brought Jesus back from the grave and declared him to be the Son of God in power. 
God is working his purposes out. Even in what appears to us to be defeat. We may never see the slightest hint of victory till we get to the other side. But the same God who promised us trouble also promised us glory. Until that day, we must do what we can and honor God by a meek and uncomplaining submission due from a sinful, short-sighted creature to infinite wisdom and absolute sovereignty. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.